0: We have a very exciting uh, series we're in called Serving as Senders. It, we're doing it for a month. The problem is, all the people that are speaking are goers. <laughs> so uh, we thought, you know, it might be helpful just to have a little bit of perspective each week on what it is to be senders, because that's the rest of us. So you remember last week we looked at the blessing of serving as senders through generosity. And the God of the Bible, the the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the epitome of generosity. He is the extravagantly sacrificial, joyfully generous God. In fact, that famous verse in the scriptures, John 3.16, illustrates his generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son. Someone has said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Love and give go together. And you remember last week, we talked about Acts 20, verse 35. The Apostle Paul said, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus said, there is more blessing in giving than there is in receiving. And then we talked about five blessings that come to us when we give. First of all, when we give, we touch the very heart of God Himself. We experience the manifest presence of God. Secondly, when we give, we open ourselves up to God blessing us. 2 Corinthians 9 says, He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And that God gives seed to the sower, not the hoarder. And then thirdly, when we give joyfully, we experience God's love. Because 2 Corinthians 9 says, God loves a cheerful giver. Fourthly, when we give God's power, overflows to us and through us. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 9 as well. It says, God is able or powerful To make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound or overflow, exceed in every good work. When we give joyfully, the power of God increases in our lives. And lastly, when we give, God enriches us in every way. And we find that in 2 Corinthians 9 as well. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. Isn't that interesting? We are enriched today to be generous. Here's my good friend Randy. I've given him permission. I said, Randy, if the sound isn't good, please feel free to come up and correct me. So thank you, Randy. Can we just give Randy uh, a round of applause? He worked so hard. Those sound guys are such a gift from God. This was. The worst disaster for sound you could ever build. And yet, Randy has has got fantastic sound for us. Okay, so this week, we're going to look at another aspect of serving as senders. The cost of sending. And we're going to feel this this morning. Particularly the emotional cost. The pain of sending people. And we find that in Acts 20, verse 36 to 38... When he had said, that's the Apostle Paul, said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, the context here is the Apostle Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem. And he's going to get into trouble. He's going to be put in prison. There's been prophetic words. And so these people he calls. He's at Miletus, which is a port near Ephesus. And he calls for the elders of the church to come to him. And the elders and, and maybe their wives and their children came. And they're kneeling on this Mediterranean beach. And they're weeping as they're praying. And they're hugging and kissing It's an incredibly emotive, emotional scene as these people realize they may not see Paul ever again. And that is part of the cost of sending. We see it in verse 37, much weeping on the part of all. It's not just an emotional cost for the senders. It's an emotional cost for the goer. It's going to be emotional cost for Elise and Will and the fosters. And I know it's been an emotional cost for Darcy and Reinhardt. I know one of the great pains for Darcy is giving up her grandchildren. Much weeping on the part of all. And then verse 38 says, being sorrowful. This word sorrowful is only used four times in the New Testament, all by Dr. Luke. And it means anguished torment. It's used of Mary and Joseph when they lost 12-year-old Jesus for three days in the temple. Mary finds them and she says, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. That's the emotion that's on this beach. And that's the emotion of being senders. And verse 38 says, they would not see his face again. The anguish It's the pain of separation. You know, Skype and FaceTime help, but there's a big difference between seeing someone on a screen and holding someone in your arms. Why? Why go through all the painful cost of sending and going? One reason it's Jesus. Jesus Himself is the great prize of our obedience. And Jesus promised in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, who said, everyone who leaves houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, grandchildren, doesn't say that in the text, but I know they meant that, or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold in this life and eternal life the great uh, uh, blessing in serving as senders, and there's also great cost. And I know I've been in the hospital room where Reinhardt has held this six-year-old boy. He's a vegetable. He just lays in his bed all day. Doesn't even get changed on the weekends. The room's horrific when you go in on Mondays. But they go in there and they hold those babies And now they're they're trying to get them over to the center. And Jesus says, all the pain of separation I'll make up a hundredfold. That's part of the cost of being senders. And now I'd like to introduce (laughs) our speakers this morning. Will and Elise, let's give them a round of applause.
1: Good morning. Well, we're just going to pick ourselves up off the floor after we've been weeping. (laughs) You know.
2: (laughs) Speak for yourself. uh, uh, I'm just kidding.
1: Right. Okay. Well, I've been worshiping with you guys for my whole life. And I can honestly say it never gets old. It never gets old. I love worshiping with you. And we are savoring every moment of being with you in these last couple of months. And it's our privilege to speak to you today and share with you some of our journey and and describe what God's been doing in our hearts. And we believe he's given us a word for you today um, that's hopefully going to be a blessing. So we're going to tag team it a bit and um, hopefully we don't (laughs) make a train wreck here, but we'll give it our best shot. Let's just pray quickly before we start. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. You are God with us, Emmanuel. Yeah. And we need your help. Lord, we want your words and to be communicated. And I pray that the spirit of the living God would, would penetrate our hearts today. And that, uh, Lord, everything that you want to communicate would be spoken. And that uh, we would go out of here in joy and in freedom that you have for us. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Amen. Okay, well, good morning, church. Let's open up to Acts chapter 27 in our Bibles. We're going to be picking up actually some of the story of where Ron was talking about this morning. Paul ended up in Jerusalem. He did get into trouble, and he ended up uh, on a ship, set sail for Rome to go and stand before Nero, the Roman emperor. And so we're going to follow and study this story through and discover what God wants to say it was this morning. And so let's start in verse 1. And this book was written by Luke, who was actually the writer of one of the Gospels. He was a a disciple of Jesus, and and, uh, along with Paul, he was on the ship. So verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Okay, so Paul is a prisoner. Okay, he's wearing chains. Actually, earlier in Acts, it says he's got two chains, one tied to either side of him so that they couldn't run away as prisoners. And this is the reality. Paul's life as a Christian was brutal. You see, which is quite different to us. I mean, look at us sitting on these nice blue chairs this morning. (laughs) It's pretty comfortable, right? But Paul's life was actually brutal, and he gives a list in 2 Corinthians 11 of all the things that he went through as a Christian. Beatings, persecutions, trials, prison, shipwrecks, hunger, thirst, sleepless nights. He was even stoned and left for dead. You see, and and what we have to realize is that Christianity is a revolutionary faith. It's not a faith of comfort. It's a revolutionary faith. It's leader, it's founder, Jesus Christ, was murdered on a cross. Its leaders were persecuted and beaten and bound. And yet we kind of like our soft blue chairs and our nice stools. But Jesus wants to call us to actually a sacrificial faith where we follow Jesus. See, Paul was the kind of guy where people would say to him, Okay, Paul, we're going to kill you for your faith. And he'd be like, Okay, well, to die is gain. And they'd be like, okay, well, we'll let you live. And he's like, well, to live is Christ. You know, and, and, and he was just free. He was free. He was a free man. And I think we're going to discover that even though he had chains on him, it was actually everyone else who was in prison too. And
1: the reality is, everyone is a prisoner of something. Right. Every one of us is a prisoner of something. And it's not about being imprisoned isn't about what you can and can't do but it's about what we're controlled by what drives us and what determines our path Paul was controlled by something but it wasn't the culture it wasn't his circumstances it wasn't the climate around him and he was controlled by the Lord and he actually says in his letter to the Ephesians I, Paul, am a prisoner of the Lord
2: Right You know what he's talking about there is that Christ had won his life. Yeah. Paul was a prisoner of blood. He was controlled by Jesus. He wasn't cro- controlled by the culture and the things around him. And we're going to discover that more. But just to open up a little bit of what that means. Paul, Paul's heart was won by Christ. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians. And in chapter 3 he says, I count everything as loss." compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. His heart, his affection was won by Jesus. He says in another letter in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul's identity had been won by Christ. And also, not just that, but the, di- the direction of his life, where he was going in the future, was determined by Christ. Many of us have plans for our lives. And Reinhardt and Darcy, was it Romania 20 years ago? Did you see it coming 30 years ago? Did you see it coming? No, but Jesus has plans for our lives. Being a prisoner of the Lord means that he determines our path. Okay, let's go to verse 2. We're just going to keep stopping along the way here, is that Okay. Okay, I just good. want
1: to jump in and say one thing, sorry. we In this journey to York, we've actually faced some of those same questions. Right. Our affection, our identity, our trust in, in our future has, has been tested every single day. Are we a prisoner of the Lord, or am I a prisoner of my circumstances? Am I going to sit in self-pity about, this is really hard, leaving everything I've I love everything I've worked towards, everything right. I've built, all the people that have captured my heart. Am I a prisoner of the Lord? And does he have my affection and my trust and my hope and my security and my identity? Or am I a prisoner of other things? We're going to talk a little bit more about that later.
2: Yeah. So I think there's actually four prisons. Paul is a prisoner of law, but there's four prisons that he could have been trapped in. And, and they come right out of the scripture here. So let's turn to verse 2. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus and Macedonia from Thessalonica. Wow, that's a lot of big words. (laughs) The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius, his centurion, treated Paul kindly. Notice this, he treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So, so Paul is cared for by his friends and, and then they got on more ships and moved further along to a couple of places. But, but here's the big question as we, as we um, go down to verse nine. Should they go all the way to Rome because they're in winter now? Should we sail? And so verse nine. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, that's the Jewish day of atonement that took place in early October And this is 59 AD. This is 29 years-ish after Jesus Christ was on the earth. This is when Paul's on this ship. So the fast was over into winter. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion, noticed this, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. So notice... Paul was both favored and dismissed by the same guy in a matter of verses. He was blessed and and brushed off in a moment, but Paul was not controlled by it. Paul could have been a prisoner of people. This is the first prison.
1: But this happens to us all the time, right? Think of that one person that you've been trying to impress for a number of years could be a boss, could be a teacher could be a parent, could be a friend, could be anybody. I, I'm sure at some point in your life we've all had those people and in one moment they praise you and you have their approval and you're like yes i have secured their approval and the next minute they turn around and totally dismiss you and you go from cloud nine to the depths of despair in moments and you're like oh I can never, I can never get it right what's the formula, what do I have to do to earn these people's approval um, but Paul didn't function like that he was completely free of being a prisoner of people and the question we have today is do those people that you're thinking about do their behaviors and actions control you do they dictate how you respond and what you do and this reveals whether we're a prisoner of people or whether a prisoner of the lord
2: why don't you tell us a story actually a number of years ago that kind of illustrates.
1: Right, so about 13 years ago I was working for a company and over the summer and they had, had to let go of all their staff for financial reasons except me because I was on a financial or on a government grant. Um, and we had to contract out this one part of the program to a, a guy who was a specialist in this area and he came in to work and he was a difficult person. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked with difficult people but this guy was... The most difficult person I had worked with to date. Um, And the tension was building. We had very different philosophies of how to do things. And anyways, the tension was mounting. And on Friday one day, I was going out to my car to go home. And he followed me out to the parking lot. And to my shock and horror, he started screaming at me in the parking lot. Just like berating me up and down. Saying horrible things. And I just stood there like... I don't even know how to respond to this and so I just said to him after he'd done this for a solid 10 minutes I said okay well let's let's talk about it on Monday and I hope you have a good weekend <laughs> <laughs> I got in my car and I drove home That's and obviously I wept in the car because I was beside myself I was like what, what what did I do to deserve that this isn't fair and I called my dad, who was in India at the time, and just said, I don't think I can continue working with this guy. Like, I don't know how we can move forward from here. And he said to me, he reminded me of a devotional we had done as a family a couple weeks earlier that was about Paul being a prisoner of the Lord. And he said to me, Elise, are you a prisoner of the Lord? Or are you controlled by this guy's inflammatory reactions and his responses and what he thinks of you? is that ruling your response and your emotions right now? Or are you a prisoner of the Lord in this? Has God placed you at this workplace this summer? Has he allowed this guy to be there? And it's like the light bulb went on and I went, yeah. Oh my goodness, I don't have to be controlled by this guy. I don't have to live under his reactions and responses. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, which means no matter where I am, no matter whom I'm working with, God is good, right. and he has me there for a reason. And by the grace of God, I was able to go back in on Monday morning, and um, grace came out of me to my shock, but it was obviously the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with me. So,
2: Isn't it amazing that being a prisoner of the Lord actually means you're free? Yeah,
1: totally. You get free, free of
2: something, right? Yeah. It's, and I think the difference between a prisoner of people and being a prisoner of the Lord is that you're actually surrendered to the purposes of God in placing you with that person. Right. Think about that person in your life. God put you there. But we're not trapped to their problems. We're actually free in the sense that God put us there. And secondly, that you actually trust the goodness of God to use that person to shape something in you right. rather than trying to combat and change something in the other person. Right? You know that feeling of like, man, they just need to change. You know, everything would be better if they just fixed their issues. How can
1: I fix that?
2: You know what I'm saying? But a prisoner of Lord means Lord, what are you doing in me? I think it also touches this issue of people's approval. Do you live for people's approval? Do you live to to get affirmation? I know how this has been a big struggle in my life. The problem with it is that you rise with the appreciation of people and you fall on the criticism of people it's an up and down roller coaster you're yeah. controlled by other people's approval and it's hard to live free of that because it's like all of us have this need for affirmation in our life and that's true because god's created you with a need right. for love the question is where do you turn for that affirmation of love I mean, where are you looking
3: this
1: has been embarrassing but even in my spin class I used to pick the bike right in front of the instructor so that I could get one smile of approval from her that oh you're working really hard and if I didn't get it I'd be like oh was I not working hard enough she doesn't think I'm good enough
2: and I think she especially thought you were really good when I came that one time because I was next to you and that seat is so hard what who invented that you know what I'm saying But I, I think it's actually true of social media too, actually, right? Because we're built with this need for affirmation. And so social media is often um, people who have this need for affirmation looking for affirmation from people who have a need for affirmation. <laughs> and we all just suck each other dry, right? Nobody actually gets filled or empowered or lifted up. Now, That's not all of what social media is, but you understand what I'm saying a prisoner of the Lord looks to Jesus for that affirmation and love, so that you can say with David in Psalm 23, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." I have no need because I'm found in Him. William Carey was a missionary to India in the 1780s, and this is what he said: "Now all my friends are but one. I rejoice, however, that He is all sufficient." Maybe you have no friends. Maybe you feel rejected by people. Let me tell you, Jesus is the best and most sufficient friend you could ever have or need. Our journey with York has been a million decisions. I said to someone the other day, I have, de- I have decision fatigue. Like, just stop asking me what do you want for dinner or what do you want to eat next because I don't, I don't know. Like, just, just help me here. <laughs> um, financial decisions, timing decisions, um, people like there's just so many decisions and it's it's actually been a minefield of being a prisoner of of people because you can make decisions based on other people's approval rather than what Jesus is telling you to do or actually justify the decisions that you've made based on somebody's approval you ever struggle with that being a prisoner of God means you're free of that So actually despite Paul go to verse 13 They actually set sail. He said, no, we shouldn't sail. We're in winter here. But no, they actually set sail despite what he said.
1: So verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Hmm. So this is the storm to end all storms. This is pretty much as bad as it gets on the sea. Not that I would know, but this is, this is what it sounds like, right? It's so bad that they actually have a name for this wind called the Northeaster. And the Northeaster was renowned among the uh, sailors of the ancient world for being um, the cyclonic, tempestuous wind and destructive power. I mean, that sounds pretty scary to me. And it, they were driven along by this for two weeks, two weeks with no sun, no rain, no moon, only rain and serious wind. I mean, they, they would have been terrified. This was a death situation. They knew they were not going to survive this because they were driven along by it. They couldn't control it. They couldn't drive through it. It was driving them. They were completely out of control. And you know, there are a lot of us in this room that are facing some storms. Granted, maybe they're not as dramatic as the Northeaster, but there are some fearsome storms that some of you are facing today. The circumstances that are completely out of your control that you don't know how to handle and you feel like you're being driven along by them rather than being able to drive through it. And, and I don't want to make light of that at all because those are extremely painful situations. Um, some of that we face this year in, in preparing to move. Um,
2: I think it's easy in those situations life to become a prisoner of circumstances. Have you ever been a prisoner of a circumstance in your life? Yes. We've been you know, it, through a lot of circumstances this year, but one in particular which really threw us out of control was last summer. We're about to leave for England on the Sunday, and this is the day before on the Saturday. We've been renovating our basement, and there's one pile of garbage left in the, in the middle of the rec room. And I think, I'm just going to go and rent a truck, get rid of the garbage. Then we can go to England, come back and enjoy the basement. So I went and got the truck. And I'm driving through Winnipeg. The Northeaster from Acts 27 shows up in Winnipeg on Smithfield Avenue. Like, I mean, there's literally pools of water on every street that you come to. And, and I get back to the house. I walk down the stairs and splash. The basement's filling with water. We, we'd literally just finished the renovation. I still shudder. <laughs> yeah. And, and we were just totally out of control. The next 20 minutes is just me plodding around in this water, kind of going, uh, 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 what do we do? I don't know. What do you know? I don't know. What do we do? Right. And there was a temptation to be controlled by this circumstance. Um, the question that comes up when these things happen to us is who is in control of your life? Who is in control of your circumstance? Maybe you're going through a tough one right now. Who's in control? You certainly aren't, right? You know that feeling. A prisoner of the Lord surrenders to the sovereignty of God. He's in control. You're the God and I'm the man. You're the creator and I'm the created. Guess what? God's bigger than you. Psalm 107 says... For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. This is challenging, but it's actually true. God doesn't just allow storms. Sometimes he designs them. Because he has a purpose in them beyond what we can see. God initiates tough things in our lives so that we can turn to him and ultimately bring him glory and be blessed through it. The great thing about that basement is actually God blessed us way beyond what we got blessed the first time. With incredible flaws and it all got redone and oh man, it's a beautiful place. And then God asked us to sell it. So praise okay. the Lord. That's good. God designed stuff that you don't understand. And Psalm 107 continues, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them. A prisoner of Lord doesn't try to control the storm, he turns to God in it. He turns to God in the storm. Even when God crosses our will. Because let's be honest. God doesn't always do stuff that we like. Or that we think he should do. And, and that's really happened to us in this last year.
1: Yeah. Um, there's so many different aspects of this move. That have crossed my will personally. And I know there's people in this room. Where it's crossed your will. Um, from my career to my house, to my family, to my friends, to my piano, to um, my future, to children, to everything. God has said, can I have it? And I wasn't prepared for that. I I wasn't anticipating that that would feel so awful. (laughs) I don't know what I was expecting. I think I thought I could keep some of those things for myself. Um, or that I wouldn't have to surrender everything. And yet God asked for it all. And he said, can I take it? And, and I felt totally out of control. I had no control over the future or what that's going to look like. I still don't. And I had no control over my current circumstances. And I, I felt upset about that. And I had to go somewhere with that. And one day... Um, I was with the Lord and he said, Elise, remember, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of even just knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I felt like he said, can I have it all or are you going to withhold some of this from me? Because when you give it all, when you lay it all on the altar... Even if you don't get any of it back, but you know me more, isn't that worth it? Right. And I don't think in that moment I could actually say yes. I, I, the spirit of conviction fell upon me, but with a little bit of kicking and screaming, I went, okay, Lord, I, I do want you more. I want to be a prisoner of the Lord in this area. I don't want to fight for control. And so I had to relinquish all of my control, I have to every day, actually. This is not a one-time thing. This is an everyday thing that I have to do. And sometimes I am crawling up onto the altar. Sometimes I can just get one hand up. Sometimes I'm kicking and screaming. And some days it's a lot easier to just go and say, okay, Lord, you can have it all. Um, but it's worth it. And, and I'm, I want... To be a prisoner of the Lord, yeah. not a prisoner to my circumstances or my own control. And that's what he's touched every single day this year.
2: So, things being stripped away in your life, you're totally out of control. Let's actually turn to verse 18 now and, and pick back up in this storm. They're in the middle of the and This is what happens. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, throw it overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. You see, these men had to make a decision about what to let go of in order to save their lives. Good and helpful everyday things that they started the journey with, were now being disposed of and thrown overboard. And the problem comes when we as Christians don't want to let go of things that God is asking us to let go of. And we become a prisoner of idols. This is... The third prison. Let let me just explain what we're talking about here. What is an idol? An idol is, is a good thing that we make into an ultimate thing. An idol is a good thing that we make into a God thing. And the storm in our life reveals that actually we cling to it. We don't want to let go of it more than our own lives. We value it higher than anything else. And again, it comes back to the human heart that's created for love. It's created to to give worth and worship to something. Maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you're a naturalist. And it's great to have you actually in Gateway Church say, welcome here. We wanna just welcome you, make you feel at home for exploring Christianity. Maybe you're an atheist, you don't even believe in the existence of God. Or a naturalist and you would say, actually, the only desire I have is a chemical desire but what Christianity is saying is that you are more than just chemicals you have heart desires you have soul desires there's a spirit there's God who created you with spirit and this is who we are that we make idols out of things in our own life and as Elise talked about this move to York has meant that God said give up this give up that and it reveals the things that we hold higher than God in our lives and we have to let them go these guys had had greater affection for their lives than for the ship's tackle and the stuff that they were throwing overboard but just think for a minute what what do you cling to in your life that that you do not want to let go of you'd sooner let go of god than let go of this thing this person this relationship this This experience, this this moment, this plan for your life, that's an idol. Something that you give worth to above God. And so, the question today is, what controls you in your life that God is asking you to give up? And so, that's why rooting out idols is so important. Because they end up controlling you. And if these guys didn't throw that overboard, they would have ended up dead.
1: And that's exactly what we've had to do this year. God has exposed idols in our hearts that we had no idea were even there. Mm. And I would say for me, my career actually was one of those It had become so important to me that I was refusing to give it up. And um, the Lord said, I want that too. And so I had to say, okay. Um, I had to, he exposed the idol of my heart, which had been a good thing that became an ultimate thing and um our when you have to give something up you realize just how much it means to you and how much it's become a part of your identity and our identity has to be so solely founded in who Jesus is and us in him and him in us that nothing else matters that i can easily say yeah lord i'll give that i'll give that i'll give that because my identity is found in you not in what i do what i have where I live, who I, whom I'm friends with, none of that thing, none of that matters because my identity is found in You, and that's the gut wrenching thing that God has been taking us through. But it's His grace to us that He's exposed these things in our hearts because I don't want to, I don't want to move forward without dealing with these things.
2: Totally. So a, a prisoner of um, circumstances, a prisoner of Idols And and firstly, we talked about a prisoner of, what was it we talked about? People, that's right.
1: So we're gonna move on to verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. These sailors were prisoners of self-preservation.
2: This is a big one. These guys tried to escape, and they were solid sailors. Sailed the seas, been through storms, survived other times, and this time, I mean, you know a storm is bad when the sailors are trying to get off the boat, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're on the cruise ship, and you're like, where's the captain gone? Yeah, oh, there he is, he's on the lifeboat two miles away. Like, you know that the storm is bad when that's happening, right? And it's so easy to think, man, what jerks. Like you're just going to try and escape from this like, and leave us all on the boat and then you're going to lie about it and just save yourself and be all about you. I mean, it's so self-centered and it's just trying to save your own life. But here's the point. We are the sailors. We do this every single day, don't we? We try and escape from the difficult things in our life at every moment we possibly can. It comes back to comfort. At all costs, avoid discomfort. I'll let go of God before I let go of my comfort. This has been the challenge to us this year as God sent us out. And so the crazy thing is that they totally deceived themselves because they were in a ship in a storm and then they were going to get in a lifeboat in the storm. like
1: A smaller boat. That would scare me. <laughs>
2: Maybe, they, maybe they're sailors and they know what they're doing, but I, I, I don't understand that. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. We think preserving ourselves will save us, but it's in coming to the cross of Christ and dying that we are saved.
1: I think it's important to note here too that they deceived the other people and often our self-preservation and deception go hand in hand. Right. And, and that's a very important correlation there because we can deceive ourselves and we deceive other people in the context of, of uh, self preservation.
2: So we constantly try to save ourselves from the trouble, but the point is, the trouble's inside of you. The issue was their character. they they needed saving from and and god wants to deal with that issue it says then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go jesus said if you want to save your life you have to lose it for my sake so the answer to self-preservation is to cut escape out of your life and turn to jesus instead that's that's repentance right turning from our, our sense of escape and turning back to jesus see when i was a teenager just to get like vulnerable about my escape uh, as a person and, and just turning from the difficult things in my life is just getting lost, actually, in, in pornography. Just as this sense of escape and, and get out of this difficult situation and turn to this thing. Trying to somehow feel better or something like that and... and the lie is is that it's not a lifeboat, it's a death boat. You might as well just jump into the sea with a stone around your, around your neck. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a deathboat, it's not a lifeboat, but by the grace of God, I was able to turn to him and confess my sin and walk with brothers, and uh, you know, as that teenage boy, God cut that death boat out of my life. And I was set free from being a prisoner to self-preservation. The issue is not the porn itself. The issue isn't the food itself. The issue isn't the the entertainment and Netflix or whatever it is that's your escape. The issue is underneath the surface. It's escapism and self-preservation. See it for what it is. It's trying to escape the difficult realities of life. The answer is turn to Jesus.
1: And actually, I think one means of escape can, can be self-pity. Because it's easier than turning to the Lord to just, and it actually feels really nice. Oh, I'm just gonna, oh, I'm just so tired of this situation of being out of control. I'm tired of the uncertainty. And, and so I'm just gonna wallow in self-pity. And that is a means of escape. And that has been, I've had some ugly days of self-pity. I really have. I'm ashamed to say that, but I have. But by God's grace... Will and I have had many a repentant session. (laughs) Lord, I turn, I choose you because you actually designed this. You designed this situation and all of the uncertainty and lack of control that's found in it, you have apportioned my cup. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Therefore, I have a beautiful inheritance. And so I am a prisoner of the Lord, not of self-preservation.
2: So let's let's come to the to the end of this storm here that they've been in it for um, fourteen days, and let's look at verse thirty-three.
1: As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, "Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you." And when he said these things, he took the bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Firstly, Paul here calls them to meet their physical need. These guys had not eaten in two weeks. They were probably seasick. They would have been wasting away at this point. They were so stressed at trying to save themselves and preserve their lives that they wouldn't even eat. Which is counterproductive, isn't it? So... Paul is saying eat and actually as you eat you can rest because I have a message of hope for you because he'd spent time with Jesus
2: well I think we we do this all the time we get so into life that we don't actually stop and 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 actually sit at the feet of Jesus and eat of his presence and his word that's probably the biggest battle that we all go through in each of our lives is a battle to sit at the feet of Jesus and eat from him you see Although this was a physical moment for the sailors, I believe this was a moment of spiritual significance for Paul and Luke and the other Christians on the boat. Think about it. He lifted up the bread. He gave thanks to God for it and broke it. And you know, it doesn't say that they had wine there and and they they were taking communion, but I, I believe that in his heart, Paul was reveling in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in that moment because Paul had been feasting all the way through the storm And so I think it'd be important for us actually just to jump back up to verse 23 for a moment. This is the last thing um, before we finish up here. Verse 23, let's just look at this together for a moment. It says, in the middle of the storm, for this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong. A prisoner of the Lord belongs. A prisoner of the Lord has a place of identity in Christ and that deals with, The prison of people's opinions, because it's only Jesus' opinions that matter. It says, He says, not only to whom I belong, but whom I worship. As a prisoner of the Lord, Paul was captured with an affection for Jesus Christ in his heart, which deals with the prison of idols. It's only Jesus who gets the worship in my life. And he said, Do not be afraid. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. A prisoner of the Lord has purpose in his life from God, which deals with self-preservation and comfort. It's not about me, myself, and I. It's about Jesus and his will and plan for my life. And behold, God has granted to you all who sail with you, said the angel. So Paul turns to the guys and says, so take heart, men. A prisoner of the Lord lives in hope and I think there's something in this passage that somebody who feeds on Jesus actually gets a message of hope for the other people in your life. I think there's somebody here who actually you're in a workplace where it's really difficult and you feel like as a a team you're in a storm. But Jesus wants to say to you, come and sit at my feet because I want to give you a message for your colleagues. I want to give you a message for people who don't Know me in your workplace and come and bring them hope. And then it says, For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul believed that God would bring them actual salvation. And this is actually what happened. In verse 44 it tells that every single one of those men made it to the shore. They made it through the storm. Paul was a prisoner of Christ As he broke that bread, as as the storm was ending, I just know he was centering back on Jesus saying, actually, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm not a prisoner of these other things. And so we're going to finish the service today uh, by actually centering on Jesus' body and blood. We're going to take communion and center on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And as we do this, Elise is going to sing a song actually that She wrote in this season, and and she'll explain it in a minute what her heart is in that. But as she sings it, I'm going to invite you to go and get the uh, crackers and the juice at the different stations. And what we're going to do is actually bring to mind the prison that holds us. Whether you're trapped by people or circumstances or idols Or whether you're trapped by self. And actually bring that to Jesus. And as you break the bread, know that Jesus broke the chains of that prison for you. And that you actually exchange our prison to get into the Lord and His prison and purpose for our life. So Elise, why don't you just lead us in this song?
1: So I wrote this um, in this season of just having to choose to be a prisoner of the lord having to choose to worship no matter what i felt or didn't feel no matter if i felt close to the lord or if i was struggling to find where i was at um but he always deserved my praise and we brought it to our songwriting team and we worked on it together so um as you get your um communion you can listen and sing if you know it we've played it at the worship night so
2: awesome why don't we stand together church as Elise uh, plays this song and invite you to go and get the crackers and the juice. We're going to center ourselves on Jesus. Gluten-free is right down at the front in the middle here and uh, over on the sides too you can pick up gluten-free.
3: When your word captures my thought and I feel your love disarm my heart. I rejoice in all I find in you, for you are my God. But when my eyes lose sight,
2: bridge now that she wrote and as she does that why don't we just respond to the Lord in our hearts and and bring him the prison that we feel controlled by maybe you feel controlled by a particular person in your life maybe you feel controlled by a circumstance or you know that there's an idol in your life that God's saying let go of it, throw it overboard, trust me, take hold of me instead, let's take this moment to bring that to Jesus and And choose him. Choose to be a prisoner of the Lord. So Lise, why don't you sing this and if you want to stand or say or just be in God's presence, let's bring this to the Lord now. And our shackles to Him and exchange them for His life and His freedom. Lord, we want to be a prisoner of the Lord. Lord, we want to be found in You rather than found trapped in our own circumstances or ourselves or other people. And so, Lord, right now we come and give You our chains, we come and give You our prisons. Lord, that person who I'm trapped by, Lord, that circumstance that I can't control and I give it to you and I say, Jesus, you are more worthy than that thing in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you hung on that cross to break those chains and to set us free from it. So as we take and eat this bread, Lord, we recognize that you are better, that you are greater, that you made a way now we can be free of those things in our lives. Let's take an eat. some good juice today that represents the sacrifice of Jesus pouring out his life in our place drinking this means that you're not choosing the chains of your circumstance you're choosing the freedom that you can have in Christ so if you, if you want to choose that in a fresh way today let's, let's drink with thanksgiving in our hearts and surrender I give you my life Jesus thank you for your sacrifice that made a way and we choose you today because you've chosen us on the cross thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus name